I hate legalism. I'm not going to go into European rules and football sponsorship this morning. But I hate legalism. VAR. Video assistant refereeing that we thought would be the be-all and end-all has made legalism a millimetre of a sock or a boot can make you offside even if you're running away from the goal to no advantage from being in an offside position. I hate legalism. Committee knows this because when they bring up health and safety, oh, it drives me crazy. The things that we have put into place in order to be legally right in case we're in front of your honour and we have to say, your honour, we wrote 3,565 pages on what would happen if a child had seven coats on during the children's address and keeled over. It's unbelievable. If they use our kitchens, what can they use and what can they not use? And what if they bring their food in? Is it us that's to blame or is it the people they bought the food off? Or once they come into us, it's unbelievable. Oh, it's all very important and vital in case we're in front of your honour. But it seems to have sucked out all of life's possibilities. Even the wearing of coats in a children's talk. We have legalised the life out of life and lost all common sense. Even a society that doesn't want God, probably because I remember being on the radio one morning with a fellow, not a fellow, with a, with a humanist, and the humanist said, ah, but those Ten Commandments are all oh, so old-fashioned, Steve. We don't want to live by those now. And I said, you don't, you don't mind if somebody kills you or commits adultery with your wife or husband? And you don't mind if somebody breaks in and steals all your jewellery while you're here in the radio show? Oh, we didn't want all that legalism. But we ended up with all this legalism. Because without God, you need more and more Legalism, it seems to me. Our two pericopes on the lectionary this week talk about legalism. Or do they talk about legalism? They talk about legalism, but they talk about the fulfillment of the legalism, which might take us away from legalism. Bear with me. Bear with me. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, God says to the people, choose life, not death. Choose life. Oh, it wasn't Catherine Hamnett's Buddhist-inspired t-shirt of the 80s. Buddhist-inspired? Moses was talking about it a whole lot earlier in time. Now, choose life so that you and your children may live 20 and that may live... Oh, sorry, verse 20. Sorry. Uh, Now, choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. I love that last line. We need to listen to his voice in following his ways, but also in times of struggle, in times of pain, in times of heartache and grief. He's the one to hold fast to. There's not just a legalistic God in this verse. There's a loving God in this verse, a compassionate God in this verse, which leads us on. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, choosing life, is about keeping God's commandments. But it would be good, as we've just done, to remember the posture of God as he gives us these commandments. 
Obey these and cling on to me, because I am your God. I've, he calls the children of Israel his children of Israel. The posture of God, the attitude of God as he gives these commands needs to be seen very clearly. This is a God who is a God of love. He does not put commandments in to spoil our fun. Quite the opposite. They are there to help us to choose life and find life in all its fullness. And we don't get rewarded life in all its fullness by ticking some boxes that a tyrannical God laid down for his own twisted designs. No, we get a life and get to choose life because when God gives us these commands, they are advice to us in order that we might avoid the death traps. Laws keep us from trespassing into the death traps. It must be at least a few months since I had my rant. Maybe I need to wear a few coats for this. Um, My rant against those who park on double yellow lines. You know that's my favorite thing. Do you know that when you sack me, I'm getting a red coat on and I'm going to be by your business every day of my week. I, just those who park across the gate in front of the church. Oh, I'm late for a lecture. Oh, there's a church. It's only open on a Sunday. So I'll park right across that white line that's there to tell me that I shouldn't park. It's not there to spoil people's fun. It's there so as a church can run properly. And that we can get into our car park when we need to get into our car park. Or a fire engine might get into that car park if necessary also. Yellow lines are not there to spoil our driving fun. Any more than 30 mile an hour speed limits in the Malone Road are there to stop us doing 100 miles an hour that we want to do up the Malone Road. They're there to stop us trespassing into places that might be death traps. They are there so that driving can be done in all its fullness if everybody keeps to the law and doesn't park on a yellow line on a corner where three streets away are now blocked because somebody was more important than the rest of us and just needed to stop there to do their shopping. Choosing life is keeping God's commandments, but it's keeping them in a way from the posture of God and for the purposes of God that should never be seen as a legalistic Burden. Deuteronomy 30, in my opinion. But then we come to Matthew chapter 5, and Jesus keeps saying here, as Marcus, thank you for reading it in English, Marcus, I saw you and Michal sort of chatting, and I thought, he's saying to Michal, I'm going to read this in Irish and really test them. But we would have had it in our order service. But what Marcus was just reading to us earlier, you have heard that it has been said. You have heard it was said. This is a Jesus refrain here in the Sermon on the Mount. Is he saying, well, you heard all those laws in Deuteronomy chapter 30. Well, that doesn't matter anymore. Was he destroying the law? No, it doesn't seem he was, because if we go to the few verses before it, we find him say, do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, we need to concentrate on that, fulfill them in a minute, but let's hear it. It's not to do away with it. It's to fulfill it. And even more than that in verse 20, and here's one for us all this morning. 
For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now the Pharisees, as we know from the rich young ruler or from Paul himself, they kept the boxes ticked. They were choosing life by doing all the commands that had been set out and adding a whole lot of commands for good measure. So what does Jesus mean? Well, if we've been here over the last few weeks and we've been looking uh, at what uh, we were hearing in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we were hearing that in the, uh, we've, the series of lessons that we've been thinking about is the dangers of reducing God's life and God's obedience and God choosing life to ritual formulas, outward codes or laws, or trying to use communal practices like worship or the sacrificial system to avoid getting our hearts and our lives to love God and neighbor. That's what the prophets were reeling against. We looked at it in Isaiah. We looked at it in Amos, how these commandments were being ticked, but something was missing. The fulfillment of the commandments, the choosing of life. It was more than a code that needed ticked. There was something going on here. And Jesus is coming in the Sermon on the Mount, this radical manifesto of a new way to live. It's a new age of grace and the Holy Spirit interpreting and fulfilling those laws. The law is not replaced. The law is fulfilled. Let me illustrate it, and I've used it before, but some of you haven't heard it, and I kind of like telling it. When the girls were small... We used to go up to the park at Cadogan on a Saturday now and again. We'd walk up from Deravolgi now and again if it was a lovely spring uh, morning on a Saturday and the sun was shining and there was a wee bit of heat in the air and we would walk up there. And if we had to cross the road, it was meticulously Deuteronomic legalism. You stopped at the curb. You got your wee toes at the edge of the curb. And you looked both ways. And you looked both ways before you crossed. And when there was no no cars coming, you walked. Didn't run, walked straight across the road. And you looked both ways as you crossed the road. And that point at the other side of the road that you got to before you could even break into a semi-quick, speedy walk. It was so legalistic. It was choosing life because there was death traps all over the Lisburn Road. And then one morning we were walking up there and I realized it was getting near the end of the month and Q Magazine would be in a lovely wee newspaper shop that's no longer there in the Lisburn Road. I'm seeing it so visually right now. So I said to Janice, you keep walking with the girls and I'll run across here and get that magazine. And I ran across there. Just ran right across the road. Not straight. Didn't stop at the curb. And got to the other side. Now, you might be thinking, did you make it, Steve, without getting knocked down? Well, obviously I did. But you see, the thing about it was, I must have, without using any of the laws, fulfilled all of those laws, or I wouldn't have made it to the other side. Oh, I didn't think about it, but I bet you look both ways. And I bet you looked both ways before I crossed. And I looked both ways while I was crossing. But the law had been a very different thing 
in my mature, <coughs> if we call it that, running across the road, rather than trying to teach children how to get those rules into their lives. Deuteronomy 30, God's ways are else. Of course, that's not what it is. There's outer codes that we need to keep, but there's an inner landscape of a way to life that we need to love, and that's what fulfills the laws. The outer codes cannot be kept without the inner landscape of our hearts and souls being transformed. God's not that interested in us ticking the boxes of the laws if there's nothing changing in our hearts and in our souls and in the kindness that we show rather than the anger we show from Dave Thompson slash Frank Turner. God is looking for something deep inside that fulfills the law. That means the laws are not as necessary as they used to be. And what that does, and I think this is a key part of this, what that does for us is, that's why the Pharisees who were ticking all the boxes got Jesus a little hot under the collar. I don't know many coats he put on to illustrate the fact, but Jesus got hot under the collar with these Pharisees who were keeping all the commandments. What was that about? Well, that was because they were using the law to prove that they were arrogantly right all the time. And Jesus is looking for a righteousness that is full of humility. This is different. Jesus said later on in Matthew, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Because Jesus is saying if we love God with all our hearts, minds and souls and strength and our neighbor as ourselves, then we're keeping the commandments. You're getting across that road without stopping at the curb and ticking boxes. And forgive me for going back to one that maybe just worked a long time ago in Fitzroy that I hadn't realized at the time, or maybe I had realized and I'm not sure whether I realized, but I'm telling you anyway. When I came here 11 years ago, we had a fair trade stall. And the fair trade stall was so that we would buy righteously, that we would change the injustices of unfairly traded products and people not getting the right wage and all of that stuff. So we decided as a church, rightfully, that we should stand for justice. However, I caught on about a few months in that it was very hard to find the fair trade stall because we'd hidden it in the L-shaped room back here behind a couple of doors. And you really had to go looking for justice in Fitzroy. But I think the reason for it was, and I may be wrong, but I think so because I'm going to finish the story by saying that quite a few of you came and told me this after a sermon in Mark that I might have naively preached, or maybe not. The issue is people didn't want it in church. Because the law says, and Jesus threw them out of the temple because they were selling things in church. That's what we thought the law was. But we missed the posture of God, and we missed the point of the law and the fulfillment of the law. Because God didn't want justice hidden away outside of where people could see it that in itself was an injustice if we had been selling things unjustly in Fitzroy Jesus would have overturned them 
But we were overcoming injustice. We were doing the Jesus thing. We were doing the Old Testament thing. And so we brought the fair trade stall into this corner. It's not there anymore. Don't go looking for it today and saying, well, I tell you, they've had it really well in the last five years because I've never seen it at all. We stopped doing it because we hope that most of us are now trained to do fair trade like the crossing of the road when we do our general shopping. Laws to be ticked so that we can be right. The Pharisees were brilliant at that. But Jesus was after something else. Jesus was after the inner landscape of our lives being transformed so that the posture by which we did all the things he longs for in our lives would come from a well deep within us. So arrogantly right, but righteously wrong. I grew up in a town that tied up their swings on Sunday, but it was a value almost to hate Catholics. Oh, they ticked the box of Sabbath observance, but it wasn't coming from here. It wasn't about justice or injustice. It wasn't about reconciliation. It wasn't about loving God or neighbor. It was a cold, outward command. A cold, outward rightness, rather than a deep, down in our souls, gracious, loving of God and neighbor. My daughters were well aware who Caroline Flack was and I wasn't. But as soon as they said, I remembered her from Axfile and, or Axfile, that's how old I am, from Axe Factor and um, I'd never seen Love Island. The only time I've done Love Island was when David Thompson had me on a pulpit preaching attacks from it at one of our fun nights here in Fitzroy. But how tragic again that a young life is taken because of social media or media in general bombardment. And I'm sure we will bring in laws. We'll bring in social media laws. God, please, we would bring in some ordinary media laws. But it's not going to be the laws that are going to keep us away from the death traps as much as lives that are transformed deep inside to be kind, to be gracious, to be loving. Because if we love God with all we've got, and we love our neighbor as ourselves, then we have fulfilled the law and will not even have to read any of them. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray for the inner landscape of our lives. As we prayed at the offering, we long that you would search us. But more than searching us, Lord, and finding what's down deep in our souls, we pray you would transform us. We pray that your grace and your Holy Spirit would dwell deep down within us. So that we would choose life. And live all of your ways, but not in a legalistic, cold, arrogant rightness, but in a grace-driven love of God and neighbor. 
Lord, may the incredible grace and love of God that demonstrated your love for us and that while we were still sinners, you died for us. May that seed take hold in our souls and hearts and minds. And may you water it by your spirit and may it grow within us that we might be those who the world might look to and see your love because we love our God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength and our neighbours as ourselves and so fulfilling the law. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.